Welcome to Peer Pressure. Today's guest is Digby Pearson of Earache Records. During this segment, you will hear him discuss his love of subwoofers. His thoughts on independent distributors, Spotify, and the shift of the music industry to the digital realm. Thank you to Lita Martinez for editing the podcast and to Liz Berg for doing the other background work. Away we go. Digby. Hello, Diane. Hi. Oh, there you are. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Yay. Yay. All the way from merry old England. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Thanks for having me on, by the way. So, oh. I can't believe uh, you're letting me loose on the airwaves. <laughs> And the web, but yeah. Well, I mean, I can cut you <laughs> off, you know. <laughs> ah, you have the power. I forgot about that. I, I do, but, you know, I, I'm hoping okay. I don't need to. I, Hopefully uh, it meets with your approval anyway, <laughs> following tracks. <laughs> well, I want to thank you so much for making the time. It's uh, it's dinner time over there, isn't it? And, yeah, you uh, could say that. Yeah, just finished work, 6 p.m. Time for some... Uh, some noise. Yay. Yay, hooray. <laughs> and a uh, normal night. A normal night for me. Perfect. Yes. Well, yeah, and that's, uh, and, and so, yeah, so what, do, what does a day in the life of, of Digby Pearson consist of? Well, just dealing with our bands, really. I mean, I kind of do the same thing that I've always done. We're kind of uh, just involved with music. Um, today we had a band called Evile. They're like an up-and-coming thrash metal band. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw their video for the first time, so their new video. We kind of checked it out and thought, you know, we had a, had a slight meeting about it, like, is it any good or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, how we should change. It's quite a radical video because it's quite quite a lot of effects on it. It's, uh, it's, it's a lot of modern effects. It, it'll throw people a loop, really, because it's not four guys headbanging in a warehouse, you know, like every other video. So oh, uh, it's, 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 it's quite stark and mod, hyper-modern. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, we're, so we were looking at that as usual. We're working out tour dates for Worm Rock that are coming over next week, I think. Oh, uh, great. Michael Band from Singapore. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That whole album is a free download on your site, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. We gave away the last Wormrot album for free. You can get it at uh, earache.com slash free. There's actually another album there for free as well by a band called Gamma Bomb. That's a thrash band from, from Ireland. So, yeah, we're actually into giving away a few albums for free. Yeah, I think we might do some more as well. So it's actually quite radical, I suppose. But uh, I'm into it, and um, the fans seem to enjoy it. From a record company point of view, and it's and it's amazing that you guys do that, and then you have, like, free full album downloads on, on earache.com. What had you think that that was a good idea of being from the model of a record company? Well, you know, we're not weathered to the past, you know, we kind of try new things. I'm a big tech head and follow trends online, you know, social media, downloads, all this kind of stuff, music blogs. I mean, there seems to be a whole community of people that are into like, it's only, you know, that are into passing on MP3s of bands they like. I mean, to me, it's really similar to what I used to do in the tape trading days, back in the days, mm-hmm. before the internet. It was like, making a C90 of your favorite bands and handed it out to friends. Right. That's kind of what I did all the time. And um, that's how I learned about new bands. So uh, it seemed like a, an idea to try it and have a full album by... I mean, the first one we did was Gamma Bomb. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an Irish thrash band. Um, there was a kind of a new band on the up, so we didn't really have anything much to lose as well. And it was the band's own idea, actually. They came to me one day, just like, hey, Dig, why don't you... Because uh, they're big fans of, like, finding music online and... The big supporters of the free music thing and they they didn't take long to convince me that it'd be a good idea and uh yeah we just went ahead with it i think we've got maybe forty thousand downloads in the first few months wow i don't know what the number is now it's more than the cds it would have sold anyway put it that way mm. uh, so we were quite happy with that it's um it's got the name out there when they go on tour they have you can obviously see people that have come to see them just from like downloading the free album right it, it does have its benefits hopefully they'll buy a t-shirt or two everything will work out okay the band's popularity is growing uh, you know we eventually released that cd the one we gave away mm-hmm. uh, for and you could buy it and everything and it sold the same as the one before so it didn't really reduce sales or anything wow that's interesting anything, it held steady so huh. uh, i mean the jury's out still whether it's uh, the way the record companies should all like <laughs> uh go but we tried it and it did okay did okay for us 
That's really neat. That's really interesting to, to hear that it sold as much as the one before that, yeah. even with the free download. It didn't like kind of like sell nothing, and everyone got a free... I mean, in a way, it was Radiohead, really, that led the way, surely. Yeah. Radiohead blew everyone's mind with that whole In Rainbows thing mm-hmm. for free. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had Nine Inch Nails doing the same thing. I mean, they made a big impact on me, what they were doing. These were like huge bands, million sellers, that were basically experimenting with... They could have had a... It could have backfired and nobody got into the band. I mean, I even downloaded The, Rain, the In Rainbows by Radiohead. Mm-hmm. And I don't even like the band. <laughs> they're not my cup of tea at all right it's just an english sort of indie band they're not they're not really what i'm into but right i mean I, even i downloaded it and kind of appreciated the gesture that they that they let me have an album for free it's it's, it's good yeah and that's and I, I thought it was quite a brave step by them very brave and you do point out that it is it's a it's a really interesting gesture and just you know sort of yeah. where things are going and and just want to commend you as a label for doing that because there's you know, I mean, I have conversations with people all the time, and, and a lot of label people are, you know, definitely yeah. concerned and afraid of giving things away for free because it's always been about, you know, making a certain amount of money or, you know, whatever. And and I think it's great that you've got a different way to look at things. Well, there's also the Spotify thing right now, which is launched in the U.S., but it's been going on in Europe for a few years now. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of our albums are free to stream on Spotify. Um, oh, and catalog of Eric, so... The- Wow! You can check it out there. You know, you don't have to. You have to maybe become a premium subscriber. It costs about ten bucks a month to, to remove the adverts. But um, I mean, I'm a huge believer in Spotify. I, I live on that thing mm-hmm. all day long, and just <laughs> listen to bands. It's kind of uh, you know, it's the best thing ever. It's like the best jukebox of music ever invented, and I'm a big fan of it. So the Earache stuff catalogs on there, and anyone can just join Spotify and check out everything from Earache for free. Yeah, I mean, that's well, super. Relatively free. You have to pay a, a monthly subscription, but it's, it's, well, it's the way the, the scene's going, I think. And there, well, and there is a free, there is a free Spotify, whatever you call it, also. That's true, yeah. Um, you can get a... You'll get ads they, and yeah, stuff. Yeah, you get like, hit with adverts every, like, few minutes. Right, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, which we've found here. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and Digby's playlist, Digby has actually sent his playlist to me via Spotify. And uh, do you want to talk about the first song that you have for us to, uh, to listen to? One of my favorite songs, by the way. I was really psyched when I got your playlist and I saw, yeah. like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to... I mean, that track means a lot to me. It's, it's the Ruts, Babylon's Burning. Mm-hmm. I mean, I compiled this, like, last week or week before when the riots were going on in the UK. Oh, well, wow. I say riots, but they were more like looting, wasn't it? Organized kind of gangs just robbing stores, different from kind of rioting. But this song is um, by the Ruts. It's Babylon's Burning. It's the first punk band I ever saw at a wow. small little club in Nottingham. When I was at school, a friend took me along. I didn't really know much about punk. And we went to see the Ruts play this underground dive bar called Sandpipers, and it blew my mind. It was... Uh, it changed my life, really. Oh. Just seeing this band live changed my life. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, in the ruts, I mean, that's, you know, that's one band I've never seen, you know, just yeah, because of the Malcolm It was with Malcolm Owen, obviously. Yeah. It was just such a powerful thing. It was my first punk show, really, proper punk show. Mm. It would be like 78 or so, wow. the end of that. I didn't really know what I was getting in for, but it was just so, the energy was amazing. The venue was amazing. There's all these kind of heavy, studded punk kind of dudes were there, and spitting and stuff it was kind of a i mean i was like uh, yeah it blew my mind i was like wow the, the energy the the colorfulness the kind of camaraderie i mean yeah it was it was a powerful thing mm. when i when i hadn't seen it before i mean wow. yeah, a punk affected a whole, whole lot of things but that was my first exposure in the ruts that's pretty much oh that's great for me so we're going to listen to this track and we'll go and we'll go digby pearson this is your life <laughs> so my guest is Digby Pearson. He is the uh, the founder and owner of Earache Records, and he will be uh, he he's honing the playlist for the next hour. So uh, please stay tuned. A few selections chosen by Digby from uh, Earache Records. Are you there, Digby? Off of the Grind Madness at the BBC. Yeah. From Napalm Death, Raging in Hell. 
Yeah, well, I, I wanted to include that, that track because, um, well, mainly in honour of John Peel, really, who, who mm. that track came from the, the Peel Sessions, the legendary Peel Sessions, which were really what put a lot of the Eric bands on the map. And um, obviously uh, he's not with us, with us anymore, John Peel, but the guy was just an absolute star, you know. He was, I mean, he, he was incredible what he did because he was you know, a national radio uh, DJ in the UK and had that national reach on the national radio station. But he just decided, when his show was like, what, in the evening time, I don't know, 10 till midnight or something, and he had the craziest band on, and uh, he decided to put on a lot of sessions from the Iraq bands. And um, without him, I don't think the whole label, well, the whole label would never really reach reached the, the, the wider public. Wow. Um, so with Napalm Death, he had them down doing like sessions, and that track was uh, the band doing a SOB cover, a Japanese hardcore band that they oh, were really yeah. into. Mm-hmm. And it just it just shows the sort of uh, insanity of what, what they were up to. Yeah. And I can't believe that happened. That actually went out on national airwaves in the UK, maybe about <laughs> ten at night. It was it was incredible. Yeah, yeah. You know, John Peel really was. Uh somebody to look up to and at least from my point of view what I saw that he was doing in all the Peel sessions you know mm. I mean I never heard the radio show but uh, all the Peel sh- sessions that are out there just phenomenal yeah. and to have to really want to be doing live stuff all the time that's you know it's just killer I mean yeah I mean it would have um, I remember when Napalm Death went down there to the BBC in the, the hallowed BBC studios where they'd record these sessions in like huge this is probably the first time They'd been in a pro studio, really. Before that, it was just making albums on nothing budget, you know, like the the uh, indie, the DIY budget that Eric had. They'd hear, you know, the, there'd be Peel's producer down there, and he'd be going, oh, we're doing a, a Smith session or New Order session or something that's going to go out the same show uh, with Napalm Death or... Wow. Or one of the, <laughs> it was, like, mind-blowing. So, um, and it really, uh, well, it was just a, a real... Um, uh, you know, it, it blew my mind that we could actually have access to... And, and John Peel, bless him, was, was the guy that made all this thing happen. Because he'd have, out of the first 10 earache releases, um, that I, know, I was just putting them out DIY style, and, and then this uh, John Peel would actually invite maybe about eight of the first 10 bands to actually go into uh, to do sessions. So wow. basically popularised the whole grindcore thing. Mm. Unexpectedly. Never expected this, but suddenly it was, it was all over the UK. Wow. But before that was Sacrilege, I wanted to just replay them because it's a fantastic Birmingham band, not the Sacrilege from the US, mm-hmm. but they were um, ex-members of Verrucas. I mean, early hardcore punk from the UK was what I grew up on. And, and they, but they kind of the first to metalize it a bit. Really influential band for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, were, they were sort of coming from a hardcore punk background, uh, Verrucas, but they kind of metalized it. They were a big influence on all the, all the Napalm Death guys, especially Justin, the guitarist. Uh, they're, not, they're a bit... Um, unsung heroes <laughs> and then before that was Discharge yeah. they're my favourite band of all time them and Slayer uh, Discharge had to be included because they just um, were the first band to just kick off something that was uh, that was kind of really influential to me Discharge I'd go around the country and check them out and see them whenever they played they were um, just a band to look up to uh, they were obviously the second wave of punk um, hardcore punk really yay Discharge <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, un- yeah un- unbelievable. And and uh, the listeners are commenting about your uh, the playlist. There, we're getting a lot of positive stuff. Um, w- uh, somebody will change soon. <laughs> <laughs> it's a varied playlist. And uh, and just quickly, somebody did ask if uh, if Eric lost any merch in the uh, in the riots. Uh, actually, no. They were, the riots were pretty heavy going, though. Actually. They hit our town, Nottingham, uh, just up the road from our offices. Uh, they actually firebombed some of these like rioters, which are just kids, actually firebombed a police station. How hardcore was that? But mm. the, our office is five minutes down the road from there, and luckily they didn't come down. Luckily, we yeah, we escaped. And they burned down a lot of stuff, and I think there's a, there's a warehouse in London, in Enfield, called the Sony, played against Sam warehouse where a lot of indie bands have their have their uh, cds stocked that got burned down luckily that's not our distributor so i think it did affect a lot of labels though a hell of a lot of labels yeah i did hear um, that yeah i mean there's i think there's well there's a huge like indie band called arctic monkeys mm-hmm. but they're um i mean it's not my c- cup of tea i don't really like the band but they um i think they were due to have a single out i mean they sell like a couple of hundred thousand copies or something and they all burnt down in the um, in this fire caused by the rioters so by good fortune it didn't affect us we, we, our stuff's in 
another warehouse <laughs> that they couldn't find. Well, yeah, so well, so good. So you're you're lucky there for sure. Yeah, it was, it was real lucky. Yeah. I think there's a lot of labels trying to do benefit shows, and I mean some. I mean, labels are kind of uh, labels that do the kind of indie kind of music. They're not they're not going to be rich, and they can't really stand to lose a lot of stock. Mm. So I think there's a big campaigns going on in the UK to help out these labels and buy some of their um, records digitally to help them out. Yeah, I mean, there's all that. I can't quite remember the names of the labels. Some of the bigger ones are like Beggar's Banquet. They are actually pretty huge. They can handle the uh, the loss of the stock. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the other ones are um, are really struggling. Well, it's yeah. a good thing that there is the online, the possibility of selling music online then. Otherwise, I mean, it would be all their stock and you'd just be standing around, you know, going Yeah, I know. We never expect this kind of crazy thing to happen. Like, of all, I mean, there were, I mean the, li- the, the rioters or looters were just after anything they could. It was kind of electronic or trainers or iPhones or all that kind of stuff. So they just, once they raided the place, they just, like, torched it. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty horrible. Wow. No, well, I'm glad that you're okay and have and are yeah. out of harm's way. Yes, yes. And uh, so my guest is Digby Pearson, who uh, started Earache Records. And I guess I just want to ask you really quickly what made you choose to start a record label, and did you have any idea that it would still be going in 2011? I mean, was it really a business thing, or no? Complete opposite. I mean, I started the label just out of fandom, really. I mean, there's a lot of other labels around that that are started by people who've worked in the biz for many years. It wasn't like that at all. I was just a fan of the bands, a fan of music, a fan of underground extreme music. Earache really just wanted to push the envelope and put out noisy bands that were kind of more out there than, than the stuff that was around at the time. Um, so it had a sort of sense of purpose, but it didn't have any money and didn't have any kind of resources or any kind of plan. The idea was just to warp some minds, really. It still is. Mm. <laughs> Nothing much has changed. Bizarrely, <laughs> yeah. it started to catch on. People like John Peel got onto it straight away, mm-hmm. and um, I mean, it was kind of unlistable noise when it came out. It was almost like avant-garde or experimental music. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I was trying to explain to, to to some bloggers the other day, like who asked me the same kind of question: what What were you trying to achieve when you started Earache? And it was kind of downfall of music, really. <laughs> And lots of the ambition. <laughs> and and what, um, what kind of job did you have at the time? What were you doing? Nothing. Oh, okay. No, I mean, I left university. I quit university, actually. Mm-hmm. After one year, I didn't finish the course properly because I was just too much into music, and I just wanted to go and see bands. And I tried my hand at a lot of things. Like, I was a writer for scene reports in Maximum Rock and Roll and Flipside magazine. I kind of knew all the bands, and I knew Tim Yohannan and those guys, Jeff mm-hmm. Bale that, that ran those. The, the punk Bible fanzine, and the guy called Pusshead, who was a writer as well in the US. Oh yeah, uh, he was like a good friend of mine, pen pal kind of friend. Mm-hmm. We used to swap, we used to swap tapes and swap seven inches and stuff. Even Jello by Effa as well. I learned from the best guys. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, they would send, they would send me stuff, and I, it would just blow my mind. And and I'd send them some UK punk stuff back. And when it got actually, they stopped trading seven inches with me when it got a bit too metalized. They were sending me, they were telling me, stop sending metal seven inches. And I was like, <laughs> what's wrong with that? <laughs> they were so punk. It was, it was unbelievable. But I mean, I loved metal and extreme, well, thrash metal, the underground kind of metal scene and death metal was just as exciting to me as punk. And um, so I got really, really into that sort of stuff. Um, and that's why Earache kind of was a sort of hybrid thing. The bands were punky, but also metalized as well. Well, and certainly like a metal uh, disposition, I mean, a, a punk disposition, you know, with a real punk attitude, not so so much, yeah. you know, the metal, like the giant tour bus, like for real, like, you know, DIY, but, but just in mm. the really extreme range. They had some metalized riffs, and that was kind of what was really cool at the time. Yeah. I mean, everyone was influenced by Slayer and Metallica and Trouble, and uh, not so much Megadeth, maybe a bit of Anthrax. I mean, the big four of thrash were coming out, Celtic Frost. I mean, they were just like huge influences on, on the early grindcore bands, I think, as well as your crazy punk stuff, yeah, uh, and the hardcore punk. It was kind of an amalgam of stuff, and, and I was just um, a fan of that kind of music, and I would, I would encourage the bands to just push the envelope, to go crazy, you know, do, do it more extreme. And, uh, you know, when you hear bands like Carcass or their debut album, still unlistenable noise now, and it's 20 years old. More than that. I still want to personally thank you for putting that out. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it, it was heavy stuff. So, um, I mean, 
there were bands doing similar stuff. There were hardcore punk bands that were speedy, and uh, even some indie bands like, say, Swans, or mm. uh, you know, they were they were doing like heavy or you know, heaviest kind of stuff. Sure. But they weren't. Uh, they were all a bit twee to me. <laughs> they didn't sound like they meant it. That's one thing that Earache brought to the table was a kind of obsession with the the noise really did you have any um, actual sort of concept for the label or a vision for the label only to be uh try and put out good bands in in the genre i mean not to explain it was all done off the seat of the pants there was no plan it was like this band's pretty cool they're uh, they're extreme they fit the bill mm-hmm. uh, we'll work with them and it kind of it veered into more death metal territory when we started working with morbid angel i mean they, they were still extreme and crazy i remember talking to trey at the time, and he was really into Carcass's album because uh, it was just uh, it was a mindset really to just go over the top. It didn't exist before. There were there were other labels that had concerns to shift units and uh, put out palatable records that would that would fit the masses. Earache that really didn't. I think that's what fans recognise. Hopefully they do. That really we just did not care and wanted to just warp some minds. And luckily, <laughs> by a bizarre twist of fate. It actually became really, really popular and got a, its own kind of genre yeah. of extreme metal and or grindcore or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it certainly sure. wasn't a, any kind of business plan. Well, far from it. Nothing like that existed. Well, and I, 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 it's not as if it was obvious then, but I just wanted to see if there had been, and uh, now everybody knows. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I had to learn quick how to at least survive as a label and keep going. I mean, that's, I'm a quick learner, mm-hmm. and I kind of went from like DIY. <laughs> To just you know, to employing a staff within a few years, and uh, I mean the bizarre irony was that the label got picked up by Sony for a couple of years in the U.S. Right? How crazy is that? Yeah. The same bands that were like blowing minds a few years before were like on a major label. It was, and it didn't work out successfully. They didn't become the platinum acts that they were expected to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, grunge, grunge took that honor really. Right. <laughs> uh, they stole it from the from the era than the grindcore scene, but. It was more palatable, and, and I love Nirvana anyway, but so, yeah, grunge was the thing that I like, kicked off in, in, in its stead, really. Mm. And, and what, would have, what would this world be like, though, if really Grindcore had gotten that big? I don't know. It's like one of those parallel universe things. Yeah, what, what <laughs> if? It would have been crazy if, like, Godflesh was Nirvana. <laughs> yeah. It would have had, yeah. It could have, you know, in a, a quirk of fate, it could have happened, but... Um, I think that actually the bands were their own worst enemies. I mean, there's a book out by um, the Decibel editor, Albert Modrian, mm-hmm. who, who writes, it's called Choosing Death, and it's the whole story. I mean, how crazy is that? The, the scene's even got a book that describes the whole whole thing that went on, and it's it's really accurate, true description of, of what went on. But you read the book, and, uh, you know, it's in hindsight, so everyone's, uh, it's like a decade or 15 years after the, the event, and uh, even the bands are admitting they were kind of naive and, made some poor decisions and i mean they, they just really did not want to be major label bands right they weren't designed to be it was it was a folly really that they that there's like god flesh albums and fudge tunnel albums and carcass albums on a major label <laughs> uh, there were era columbia it just doesn't really make sense it doesn't compute right yeah but um well and, but, they, and but, they, but they were there for a while was that a deal was that actually sort of Columbia more, or and did you have to take the bands back, or was it a deal with Columbia that ended? Yeah, it was. Well, it was. Um, I mean, the bands were like selling serious numbers as well. I mean, it's, it's a story that kind of is played out in the music biz every year or two. There's a hot new label that pops up with like hot bands that are selling mega. You know, sub pop. It happened to pretty much at the same time uh, as Earache, and um, I mean, some of their bands went on to be successful, others didn't. But um, and one, like, phenomenally so, like, talk about Nirvana. With Earache, we had the same kind of... Uh, Columbia was really into it. They really wanted to uh, to push the bands. And um, But then they'd actually say crazy stuff like, oh, where's the radio single? And, <laughs> and can, the singer have, can the singer have, like, vocal lessons? Oh, We're like, really? what? Have you heard these bands? You're crazy. So, Tell Jeff uh, Walker that. It wouldn't, yeah, it was like a real mismatch, to be honest. What the hell we were doing there? I don't know, because it was, saying stuff like that was not really what, what it was all about. But, um, so it was, it was know, as if they kind of understood that, that Earache was getting big and that they should do something, but they were still operating from the same model, but not understanding that they were taking on like a whole maverick, you know, label yeah. and genre. 
Exactly. The, the, the maverick is the key word, yeah. The bands wouldn't comply with anything. They, I think it was Carcass, they told to, <laughs> to, do, to do some vocal lessons. And he was like, I mean, I wasn't at these meetings, but I presume they were like, are you kidding me? What, what, you know, this is Carcass, what are you talking about? <laughs> and they, they would have official meetings where they'd say stuff like that. <laughs> or, where's the radio hit with the best? Where's the radio hit? <laughs> like, radio, radio. Are you crazy or what? Right, yeah. What's the radio got to do with this? Well, and as far as um, they're concerned, they were on John Peel's show, right? So they've already gotten well, yeah. the radio that they need, but not... But he's uh, as maverick as they come, so... Yeah. You know, it, 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 it was an underground scene. It would be like kind of akin to black metal bands. In fact, uh, you know, like Satyricon were on EMI for a while. Mm. Cradle of Filth were on Sony for a while. Nobody really knows about that. Uh, the black metal bands that were big sellers, they also come eventually to, you know, the overtures of the major labels, because they are still powerhouses, they can build careers, you know, they have a lot of them, and the finances that they put into a career is just uh, multiples of what an indie can do, even the bigger indies. So, um, you know, you can't blame those bands. But Satyricon didn't really take off, they did one album on EMI, same with Cradle of Filth, I think they just forget that major label album as a sort of a folly, and, um, you know, it happens a lot, there's... All the labels that have, I mean, even labels like Victory, say, they have, you know, it's a metal, punky, hardcore label. Right. They have some really successful bands in the more emo scene that I'm not really into. But, um, you know, you can't knock it. They, they, they sell a serious amount of records. I think Hatebreed was on a major label for a while. There was, you know, there's this whole fine line between the big selling indie and indie labels and the majors. There's sort of a symbiotic relationship that goes on. And, um, you know, we exist just below the radar of that. And we're quite happy to do that. We don't have any major li- major label licenses anymore. Well, and you've tried, and you've, you know, seen where that goes, and it is, you know... It's, it's absurd, really. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the thing is, the, la- the major labels wised up. They've all got now indie distribution networks that they can plug in to, and we actually go through a, a distro called Caroline in the U.S., which is part of oh, EMI. Right. Uh-huh. So, so you know, we do have some ties, tenuous ties with these majors, but... Um, only because there's no real, well, there's not many uh, real genuine independent uh, with no uh, distro networks with no ties to any majors. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean that, that's what we deal with. Yeah. Well, so I'd like to get back to the uh, to the music and and music, yeah. You're really, <laughs> you know, and it's w- and it's wonderful to talk to you, and I could talk to you for an hour just, you know, about all this because this is just what I love and what you love, obviously. Um, and and you're here to guest DJ also, you know. And okay. and part of doing this segment is is kind of like you know I've had some guests on who are not huge talkers, so it's more about the music. And uh, so you know, so thank you for just you know your your contribution. And the next thing we have is a brutal truth track, yep. which uh, let's see, awesome. off of uh, extreme conditions demand extreme responses. Yeah, great band. Is there uh, yeah? Is there anything you want to say about about this track? Well, just great bands, and I just wanted to uh, <laughs> put it out there just to remind people what what a great band they are. I mean, they split up for a while and then reformed again recently. But this is from their uh, earlier, their first album, and it, it just is it's a ripping track. I, I love it. I love it to bits. All right. So uh, my guest is Digby Pearson from Earache Records, and uh, we're going to be listening to some Brutal Truth. Please stay tuned. I hope you make sure we're properly dead before you start. <laughs> Sure you know real well, contains the word the law. 
And so that is White Wizard. And uh, Digby, would you like to tell the folks about White Wizard? Well, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an earache band. It's from uh, an album we released about a year ago. And uh, that's one of my favorite bands right now. I mean, I'm, I'm personally on a listening trip. Uh, I'm really into, like, classic rock these days. And um, obviously, probably heard Dio and Judas Priest before that. And um, just two legendary bands. I mean, after like listening to the extreme stuff, I'm living in a death metal grindcore bubble for a couple of decades. We kind of uh, you know, branching out a little bit. Maybe I'm getting older. I don't know. But um, you know, there's a new wave of kind of bands that that are playing classic rock. That, that aren't old timers. They aren't veterans. They're like they're not, not newer bands. And I really want to support them because uh, I mean they're, they're not an obvious big seller. You know, they're kind of. Um, and there are a, lot, a lot of bloggers and stuff deride them as kind of throwbacks or revivalists or whatever because they're not playing modern, processed, crunchy metal. But uh, to me, I, I applaud them because they're, they're trying to put the songs back into metal and, uh, and the riff, you know, the power of the riff and uh, the front man and stuff. I mean, myself and Dan Tobin, who's like the, the, the other A&R guy at Earache, I mean, he signed bands like At The Gates back in the 90s and worked with Dark Throne. Mm. when he worked at Peace Hall. I mean, kind of, uh, we're steeped in this extreme metal stuff. And uh, there's a whole new wave of bands. It probably started with, like, Grand Majors or Wolf coming out of Scandinavia. Mm-hmm. They're, they're more about the riff and the song. And uh, White Wizard we signed. And, um, they're not everyone's cup of tea, but, but I think they're amazing. You know, they, they struggle with lineup problems a little bit because they're a new band and there's no obvious fan base for them. But, but we persevere, and I, I just want to promote bands that, to play true sort of heavy metal, you know, like the old days. <laughs> you redefined heavy metal at some point in your, well, actually early on, and now uh, it's it's great to be able to embrace it all, though. And it's it, for me, it's really great to hear that there are bands doing something like that. Yeah, I mean, I remember telling a, a, a respected journalist at Metal Hammer in the UK about two years ago when we started doing this. I mean, there's a whole set of bands now that worship Maiden and Priest they don't really worship Dark Throne or Morbid Angel or whatever. Right. <laughs> they're, just, they're on a different trip. And he was like, really? Oh, I don't believe these bands exist. That's incredible. Where, where are these bands? Don't you mean old northern bands from the 70s and 80s? And no, no, I mean new bands. Mm-hmm. Like bands like Enforcer from Sweden. He was, he was gobsmacked that they, they exist. And uh, you know, to me, they're just fresh, freshest thing in metal. Right. And, um, we, want to, we want to promote them. They don't sell many copies, <laughs> which is like, it doesn't really matter because the thing is, it's just a... Reflection of my own personal taste. Anyway, I'm at the lucky position that you can release whatever I want to release. There's no real pressure to uh, do the numbers or the quarters or turnovers and stuff. Mainly because our back catalogue still does does really strong for us. So uh, we don't really act like any other labels. We can just release what what the hell we damn well like. So there. That's the beauty. That's the beauty of what wizards. They're great. <laughs> so. It- do you consider Earache like a vanity label? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it, it is. I mean, we, we kind of like, oh. I mean, there's other labels there that are bigger than Earache, and they're like powerhouses of the metal scene that have huge turnovers and huge staff and stuff. I mean, Earache's really just been born out of fandom, and it still is. It's like A&R driven, and we just release what we like. Mm-hmm. Between myself and Dan, who's like the label manager and also A&R, and uh, he did the Wicked World label that I heard you mention earlier that I think a fan wanted to comment about, uh, which, which uh, turned up a few bands. But then we, we folded that label. We kind of put out what we want to put out, really, and what we like to hear. It really is just a timeline of my own listening taste. It's the ultimate vanity label, really. Right. Um, if we had to, like, sign to order or sign what's popular, we'd be doing uh, emo, screamo bands and Black Veil Brides sort of rip-offs. Mm. We don't really think like that. We just don't think like that, really. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thanks Thanks for your taste. And how many people work at Earache right now? Um, not too... May, way less than you might think. There's about eight of us in Nottingham, a couple in London doing promo. New York office, about three people. Mm-hmm. It's tiny. And we, we had a couple of people leave us recently, uh, cutbacks and stuff. But so, you know, we're not a huge... Uh, we, have, we hire outside people to do promo. There's a guy in L.A. that does promo for us, a guy in Germany, uh, a few guys in France, Swiss, um, Spain. So there's kind of uh, people that work. There aren't actually employees of Iraq, but they're, they're working 
on behalf of the label, and they do other labels as well. It's kind of a freelance uh, thing now that goes on a lot. You know, it's not like dozens or hundreds like some 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 of the bigger indie labels have. We're pretty small and, and boutique. <laughs> yeah, but we like but it that way. Extremely okay. powerful, and you you know. Eric is always a presence and Eric is one of those labels that's like, you know, you go shopping and you, you know, oh, it's on earache. Like there's just, there's a comfort level to know that something's on earache, at least, you know, for me. Yeah, I think that's what we, I think that's what makes it all satisfying really is the most satisfying part about it is when fans who follow the label, they kind of get what we're, where we're coming from. They're, uh, they're, a lot of them have grown up with the label. The thing is, we went like 20 years without releasing a grindcore, without signing a new grindcore band. I mean, that, that threw people a whole loop, that did. All through the 90s and the, and the 2000s, there was no new grindcore stuff on anyway, the, the stuff that we were known for, uh, until we signed Insect Warfare and released them, and then Wormrot in the last couple of years. Mainly because we don't want to rehash what we already did as well. There's, we're not really in the market for a new Morbid Angel or a new... Right. Death or well, you've done whatever. it right. You did those bands years ago. Yeah, you did it right the first time, and and I think that you know, I mean, we trust your judgment in knowing what's what's good and what's rehash, yeah. you know. So yeah, I, I think what people don't really realise, we're kind of music nerds at Earache, like real music <laughs> nerds. It's terrible. <laughs> we're kind of a, you know, we're checking out bands all day long and forming an opinion of them, and we kind of discuss what we like and what we don't like. I'll tell you one of the funniest things was. Um, we had a sort of, a, we went out for work for some beers after work, the whole office, mm-hmm. well, me and Dan and a few other people. Mm-hmm. And there was a guy, we went to a new kind of bar, just as kind of played a bit of metal. And there was a dude in there with a Cannibal Corpse shirt on. And he was like, he kind of got wind that we were earache and stuff. He was like, and we were like, oh, we like Cannibal Corpse, they're really cool. And he's joined us for a few beers. To show you how nerdy we are, we started talking about Cannibal Corpse's albums, like the debut, the follow-up. The good albums, the bad albums, the production, the songs. And he actually got up from our table and walked away and said, you guys are idiots. Really? <laughs> we were like, yeah. No, because he was just a general fan of Cannibal Corpse. He, wasn't, he couldn't handle us just dissecting their career like complete nerds that we are. So, oh, how funny. Uh, I, I knew what he meant, and I felt sorry for him that we were like, uh, we were just nerdily like discussing Cannibal Corpse, and he just wanted to have a beer and... Right. Say he was chuffed with Cannibal Corpse. Right, and 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 okay. and, and pump, his, how, pump his fist uh, in the air. Yeah, which yeah. is okay. I mean, yeah, but um, we had a bit of more of a nerdly like interest in the band. <laughs> Even though we never signed them, and wish wish we had them, but we never did. Right. Yeah. Nerdly, I like that term. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nerdly. Do you have a uh, a pet release, like something that you put out that you really are most proud of having released? Tell you what, there's a lot of bands that we, a lot of our bands have been quite successful and they tour now and they're kind of legends in the extreme music thing. But there's a few bands that I've really liked that haven't caught on. I think you mentioned before uh, a commenter that mentioned the band called Old. Mm. That was, that was, um, they were a bit, I was a big fan of that band. They were from New York, James Plotkin, Jim mm-hmm. Plotkin, mm-hmm. is now kind of revered in the scene for his, I don't know, psychedelic kind of guitar playing and experimental approach. But when we did Old, no one really cared much. I was a big fan of them. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a band called Zikkite that we released a few years ago. They were from England, Brighton. It's a fantastic band. We did two albums with them, and uh, nobody much cared much. <laughs> we, you know, we kind of uh, learned our lesson and didn't do any more albums by them. But there, there's, a, there's a sort of, there's a slew of bands that I'm really, really into that, that uh, didn't really catch on. That's fine, you know. Um, does it make you? I really like them. So, does it make you more? Uh, is there more affinity for them because they didn't catch on? Like you almost feel like, oh, I just like it's still your own pet. Like it hasn't. If if it doesn't catch on, then it's still like kind of your pet thing. Yeah, well, I still like the band. It's the fact they didn't catch on. I mean, the band took it okay. They were, I mean, they thought signing with Earache, like, like like every band, they think you know Earache can like do a lot of good and put the releases out there and promote them really well and. We have a really good success rate with our bands. They become quite popular, you know, over time. It's not an instant thing. It's not an overnight thing. I mean, they have to do the work, but they didn't really tour much, so they kind of, they took it. I mean, the guy is, he's been in like loads of bands um, in England. Uh, the other one he's been into, um, I can't remember now, but, but basically he's like a musician. He's been, you know, he's been around and done a lot of releases on, on metal labels. So he took it on the chin. But, but it's, I mean, it's actually our web guy that does our website, earache.com. He's like a, a big fan of the band as well. It's just one of our little pet bands that we really like. It didn't catch on with the fans. And 
that's fine, you know. Not, not everything's an instant hit. <laughs> We're okay with that. <laughs> so then uh, before White Wizard, you played uh, Judas Priest with the live version of Breaking the Law and uh, Dio Insect Warfare and Brutal Truth rounds mm. out that set. Yeah, a few different vibes going on there. I mean, the Dio and Judas Priest was basically just do the classic rock is what uh, I'm really into at the minute. Judas Priest just toured the UK and we were lucky enough to have a band called Rival Sons open up for them. They're an LA band playing a sort of Led Zeppelin kind of classic rock, the, 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 one of our hot new bands. Mm-hmm. And that's the next song in the list. But uh, what, what, the reason I chose Dio and Priest was because it reminded me of uh, Monsters of Rock, the festival, the famous Monsters of Rock at Donington oh, Park, right. which is like Rainbow and Judas Priest played the first one in 1980. And I went along to that. I mean, it's actually only 10 or 15 minutes from my house where I, where I live. Mm. Uh, it's in it's our local neighborhood here. So I think that might have been one of the first metal festivals I ever went to. I was like seeing punk bands one day and then going to see metal festivals the next and loving it all, you know, and priest blew my mind that day. I don't think I really knew much about the band or, D, or Rainbow. So wow. um, I kind of have to work backwards and, and catch up with my metal uh, classic rock stuff. So, I mean, yeah, they're just, uh, I mean just brilliant. I mean, Dio is just a legendary vocalist. Oh, yeah. Uh, shame uh, he passed away so, and left us so, so suddenly, but, I mean, the guy's just a legend. I mean, I love all his stuff. You know, I had to make my playlist. He's just a god. Yeah, and thanks for that, because he, yeah, there's, there's no, nothing equals. Yeah, amazing. Do you want to um, introduce the next, uh, the next track you did? Mm. Yeah, it's going to be uh, Rival Sons, uh, and the track called... Uh, um, we're in Los Angeles. I just got to take a call. I think Hold you on. do. <laughs> so my guest is uh, Digby Pearson, the uh, founder and oh. owner of Earache Records, Rival Sons, which is next on Digby's program playlist. Please stay tuned. Back to Earth, or back to the earthquake, as uh, it seems we've experienced here. We've got uh, Digby from Earache, who, uh, there he is, there you are. Yes, yeah. sorry about that, I had, had another call, kind of a bit crazy there, two things on the go. No, that's but, uh, okay, yeah, you're a busy guy. Earthquake happened when I went away. <laughs> yeah, exactly, well, you're, you're getting credit for the earthquake from the <laughs> listeners, just okay. so you know. And uh, you want to talk about the, uh, the last couple of tracks we just heard? Yeah, The Headhunters and Scott Brown. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan, as well as being like, mainly into the rock and metal, obviously. I mean, I'm open to other genres. And um, there's, when I'm a big fan of like, the underground hardcore techno scene, it's actually it's, it's, it's pretty kicking. It's, um, I've just been blown away by the, the production of it and stuff like that. And I collect a lot of the... Uh, the CDs of these kind of bands. And uh, Earache even dabbled for a little while in the 90s with, with some of these bands, which pissed off quite a few fans. But I, I just like the way that they're pretty slamming and, uh, and the bass especially. I mean, I'm a big fan of, of like, sub-bass. And uh, when we did a band called Scorn in the mm-hmm. 90s, which is ex-Napalm Death Dude, uh, they, they, they actually had such a big, heavy bass line on their, on their music. It, it blew my mind. And um, uh, nowadays, there's whole scenes like dubstep, uh, where the bass is like the, the prominent instrument. And um, I mean, I've been a big fan of like, say, you know, dub in the 70s or reggae or whatever, or, uh, and then there was drum and bass. So I just wanted to have play some bands like Headhunters, Scott Brown, who's like a, a, one of the top hardcore techno DJs, who just really slam it, you know. And um, uh, I also like the fact that you can't really hear it much unless you, if you're on a laptop or an iPod kind of earbuds. They're really, you know, they're just 
they don't, uh, don't handle the base that these guys are like putting out. So, right, yeah, the waves um, are just too large. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of like stuff that you... I mean, I've got subwoofers everywhere. I can't live without uh, <laughs> hearing proper bass. Every system I've got, upstairs, downstairs, computers hooked up to subwoofers, in the oh, office, wow. subwoofers. Since I kind of, yeah, I encourage everyone to get subwoofers because you don't hear the whole thing that's going on, the, the, the power of the track. Mm. It's just immense, and um, I'm just I'm just a big fan. I mean, of that kind of stuff. It's it's really cool in the UK now. There's dubstep in every club where you go, and uh, everyone from students to like hipsters is into dubstep. But I chose not to play any dubstep because that's kind of it's too uh, predictable. Mm-hmm. So it was more like hardcore techno that I, that I wanted to put out there. Well, and that's still yeah. really aggressive music. I mean, that still goes with you know. I mean, I think that that that. You know, you, your tastes, and, you know, the label um, had for a long time really just been associated with extreme music. And, yeah. uh, and, and it, to me, it's no surprise at all. Yeah, I mean, know. it's been called electronic grindcore to me. I mean, when, when they're sort of faster bands than the ones we just played. But, I mean, none of these bands are on Earache. They're, they're not, we're not mm-hmm. that, uh, we, we realize there's a line we can't really cross. Right. But just as a, my own personal uh, thing to throw in at the end, was just to put a bit of bass into the actual playlist. Mm-hmm. To um, you know, it's still extreme, it's still powerful, and uh, it still warps minds. <laughs> it does <laughs> mine anyway when I hear it. If, if you got the right setup, and um, yeah, it's just an incredible thing, um, and uh, more people should get into it. So, and there you go. And we have a question about um, the accused release. Was that the first earache release? Yeah, yeah, it was. Technically, it was the first one, but it was a kind of co-release with another label, so it didn't have um, another label that was a friend of mine uh, uh, called uh, COR Records in the UK. It was released in the States on a, on a small label called Subcore. Uh, Earache did it in the UK, but the rights expired, so we can't really print it anymore. The rights mm. expired many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. So um, that's why it's actually hard to collect that one if you're a collector of the Earache catalog. Uh-huh. So... And I was a big fan of the Accused. They were like one of my favorite bands for a while. Oh, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, they're still going. I think they've reformed, I think, recently. I think that they yeah. have, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're still awesome. And it was, yeah, they were, they were the band that kind of really got the label started. So I owe a lot to them. They were, like, they were kind enough to let, to let me do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, my little label didn't mean anything at the time, just like, and it was, a, it was like a dream come true to put out The Accused. It was awesome. And, um, oh, yeah, it must have been, because if you were a fan, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was awesome, yeah. So, yeah, uh, band. And then we've kind of moved on to a bit more extreme stuff like, a few releases later, about a year later. Yeah, you did. We're good. <laughs> and, uh, and is there anything new that you're really excited about um, that you haven't mentioned that Eric's got going on? Yeah. Well, the band earlier on in the playlist, Rival Sons, mm-hmm. I mean, that's our new thing for this year. They're, um, they're a bit different for Eric because they're uh, obviously more high-octane rock and roll or whatever you can call them. Um, I mean, they're uh, becoming one of our real successful acts. They're, uh, they really have a, a real good vibe about them. They're kind of organic-sounding, real rock, rather than the processed kind of modern-day metal that you hear. I mean, mm-hmm. and they're, they're, they're in the singer, J.B. Cannon, he's like a, a total star. He's brilliant. Because his influences are more... They come from a soul background and from, oh, like, wow. blues and stuff, and he really puts that into, into the band, if you hear their other tracks on the album. Um, and they've got a track called Soul, which I didn't put in the playlist because it's too long. But in that song, it just really is a bluesy kind of feel, which is something I'm really into at the minute. A bluesy kind of singer in a, in a kick-ass rock band is like really, really something special, I think. They're up for a Classic Rock Award this year. Best New Band and also Classic Rock Magazine in the UK. Oh, Recognised them early on. They're up for the Best New Band and also the Best Album of the Year. So for a new band that's uh, fairly new anyway, they're, they're doing quite well. And they, they toured with Judas Priest, of all things, as well, opening up for Priest in the UK. Um, yeah, that's pretty nice. Yeah. And um, <laughs> they've scored some big management as well, like a huge man- management company called Azoff Music in the US. Mm-hmm. It's like the biggest one in the US. And uh, they do bands like Aerosmith, Van Halen, Journey. Wow. And then, and then, yeah, I mean, they do the big, the A-list rock bands, the superstars. I think they did Guns N' Roses rec- until recently as well. And they, the newest band they've got on their books is, is Rival Sons, so they're, um, they're expected to do well. They, yeah. they're, they're just a great guy, bunch of guys. They're all vegan as well. They're kind of, they're pretty oh, uh, all about counterculture. 
Mm-hmm. And very right on and um, very cool people. Just smart, just as cool as guys. Very, very um, from LA, and um, you know it's a pleasure to work with them. So uh, we'll see, we'll see how they go. It's still early days. Yeah, we think they, we think, we think they're going to become a really important band. Oh, cool. Well, that track was was really pretty great that we heard from them. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. What was it? Where where is it? Oh, burned down Los Angeles. Down Los yeah. Angeles. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. And, and uh, that riot scene that was set out the playlist. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and any comment on including Fear Factory in the uh, your playlist? Yeah. And well, that I was, just really love this track by Fear Factory. It's one yeah. of my favorites. It's from the manufacturer, like. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's not an Iraq release. It's not an Iraq band. It's, but I know um, they split up for quite a while and then reformed recently. And um, I know Dino quite well, the guitarist. Mm-hmm. He's a big fan of what Iraq does. And uh, I just want to, every time I hear it, I, I really like it because it's kind of got a mechanized sort of feel to it. It's like a, they're a metal band, but they're so tight and uh, they have like little programmed little bleeps and whatever in that track as well. I thought it'd be interesting to build up to the hardcore techno. I think I mean, it was a perfect bridge track. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. It was it was meant for that reason so that people could. Uh, I mean, uh, ease into it. In fact, yeah, ease into it. <laughs> in fact, themselves had a remix album, I think. Mm, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Back in the day. Yeah. They're not afraid of experimenting with that kind of hardcore techno thing. I mean, they don't, they don't do it these days. It's a little bit passe, really, to, to mix the two together. But right. Yeah. Um, 